0: Hi, and welcome to episode 34, a rare rainy episode of Five Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Grove. Today's episode features Privateer Amber Rum, a rum produced in New England, specifically Massachusetts. In accordance with that fact, I'll also take a look at rum's role in colonial America and make two different punches, Meeting House Punch from Jeff Berry's Potions of the Caribbean and my own Privateer Punch. So first up, Privateer Amber Rum. Uh as I mentioned in the open, Privateer uh makes two well, I didn't mention that they make, but they make two different kinds of rums. They make a silver rum and an amber rum. Today's episode is going to talk about the amber rum, and that's rum that's produced in New England, specifically in Massachusetts. Um about the name, uh start let's start with the name. Uh the Privateer was founded by Andrew Cabot, an ancestor of the Andrew Cabot who was an American privateer. Uh a privateer can be very loosely defined as a pirate sanctioned by the government or a legal pirate. Uh, privateers and pirates do many of the same things but with more or less legality depending on which side of the fence you fall on uh so interesting name uh for the rum but definitely ties into the lore of rum and and the culture of rum okay so what goes into privateer amber rum Uh, according to the website uh what just the ingredient list you would expect molasses some brown sugar some water and yes a proprietary yeast Um, that is the secret ingredient since Most rum manufacturers are using the same base ingredients. Oftentimes the yeast that you're using uh, yields you a a slightly different product um, and is one of those, you know, closely guarded secrets. Uh, It has to do with the locality. Also, um, you know, it gives you, it gives you different flavors. So that is an important part of how rums are put together. Um, That is put together for fermentation. And then that base or the wash sits at about 8% alcohol by volume. Uh, there are different approaches to fermentation, and Privateer, according to their website, ferments at a longer period at a lower temperature. So they're going uh, six days at 78 degrees. Uh, in terms of how how to approach fermentation, a hotter temperature would give you a faster fermentation. So if you really are interested in speed over um, over all else, you could uh, raise that temperature, and then you'll get your fermentation quicker. Uh, and different fermentation speeds will get different flavors from the yeast. Uh, you know whether whether one is more preferred over another, that depends. That you know, that really dictates how you approach the rum. Um, the rum itself, once once they get to that 8% alcohol by volume uh, wash, uh, it's double distilled. Uh, first, it's pot distilled to produce what they're calling a low wine, which is then distilled again with varying numbers of plates in the still, which will alter what's produced. So, our, in this case, more plates equals a lighter and cleaner spirit. So when they produce the amber rum, privateer says that they change the plates often to mix desirable characteristics from both ends of the spectrum. They want to get a little bit of lightness and purity, um, and they want to mix that with a lot of uh, extra body and richness. And so they'll change out the plates as they do their distillation to achieve uh, that balance that they're looking for. This distilled liquid settles in around 60 to 80 percent alcohol by volume. Uh, water is then added to, to uh, settle it at 55% ABV in preparation for aging. Uh, Privateer goes on to say that they they settled at 55% ABV for aging to get the amount of oak flavor they wanted without overpowering the spirit itself. Uh, this helps explains what I got when I tasted this rum uh, and more on that in a minute when I get to the tasting itself. Um, they age first in new oak, a combination of French, American, and Hungarian oak. And then after some time, this spirit that's been aging in those barrels is transferred into used oak barrels. In this case, the used barrels uh, were formerly housing bourbon, uh, brandy, and or sherry. Well, probably not and or. Uh, in terms of blending and batching, so when I read about Privateer, the role that blending plays um, and the importantness of the role blending plays becomes very apparent. In short, they're choosing which of the aging barrels are brought together to produce the final rum. So... Obviously, a lot of tasting, a lot of note-taking is involved in that process. And once they have a sense of the character of the various barrels that they're using, they put them together sort of like a puzzle. Um, In choosing the varied barrels, they end up with a recipe for that particular batch of rum. So those barrels that they choose are brought together. The contents of those barrels are poured together. Water is added again to bring the rum down, this time to 50% ABV. And then it's then recasked into what they term third-use barrels. Um, at this point, by using a 100 proof spirit, the oak impact is minimized, so it's not going to take on too much of that barrel flavor, too much of that oak flavor, um, and the newly combined rums have a chance to you know, get to know each other, so to speak. After about six to eight months, those barrels are then brought together once more, brought down to 90 proof with uh, the addition of some more water, and then filtered to remove any impurities, and then bottled. Uh, no additional sugar is added if you track that sort of thing. So... Obviously, if you, you know, based on what I read on the website, blending is clearly an important part of what Privateer is doing with the amber rum. Uh, So much so that if you look at the label on the bottle, you'll see a handwritten batch number. Uh, The two bottles that I have purchased over the last few months are both from batch six. You can then go on to the Privateer website, uh, link in the show notes, of course, and read the notes that are specific to that batch. Um, You'll see barrel numbers, percentage of each barrel that was used, and then notes for each individual barrel. That makes up a given batch. Um, I happen to find this uh, really interesting, um, though, quite honestly, it shows what little skill I currently have when it comes to tasting and flavor notes, because the notes are very detailed and I don't actually, um, I'm not always good at picking up the things that they're noting in the final blend. But, you know, it's part of the experience of uh, learning how to taste better. Uh, The batch notes also include dates and volume of production. So, if I were to look at the rum that uh, batch, the if I look at batch six of the rum, I can see that uh, the barrels were uh, harvested on December nineteenth of twenty twelve. So, just under two years ago from the time I'm recording this, they were bottled on January eighth of twenty thirteen, and this batch uh, produced a total of six hundred and forty four bottles. Uh, and again you can go through and find out how much of each barrel made up uh the final product you know you'll see notes like you know this particular one particular barrel was uh, said it was you know stewed grapefruit starfruit and grass and another one said lemon marmalade so again some very specific notes that may help you um develop your your sense of taste and and aroma as you as you work through this rum um, hasn't helped me a great deal but i'm still working on it um anyway so this this aspect of going and getting a barrel number or getting a bottle number and looking at more information on the rum this is something that's uh, a few more manufacturers are doing this is something for instance that ed hamilton does with his ministry of rum collection which provides great reference material for the rum that you're drinking Um, so if you like to dig deeper into what goes in the product this is this is a really cool development now i first heard of privateer last summer in advanced of uh, in advance excuse me of tiki oasis and they were indeed a part of tiki oasis they uh, Both their rums were involved in different symposiums. Uh, I then picked up uh, in the fall, or probably late summer, early fall, the Amber Rum from Beverage Warehouse in Southern California. I'm sure an internet search for your local area will find a merchant that carries it. Uh, As usual, with uh, ordering online, liquor laws are varied, so uh, I'm not sure whether you can have it shipped to you, but it's definitely worth seeking out. I'll go ahead and tip my hand before I have a chance to taste it and say it is definitely worth uh, seeking out a bottle. So... My notes on on tasting the privateer amber, um, at, when I first looked at it, you know, it's it's a light yellow color in the bottle and in the glass. Uh, swirling it around produces uh, what I found to be slow developing legs, and then a few of them seem to fall quickly, and then and then drop what started forming. Um, I should probably go back and look at my notes now that I'm 34 episodes into this thing and see. Uh, what swirling and legs and droplets actually, uh, how that maps to um, the rum itself. That would probably be an interesting experiment. Maybe I should write that down. Now, in terms of aroma, there's a a mild astringency in the glass. Um, I pick up a little bit of sugar and a little bit of woodiness, but I think there's a lot of subtlety in this rum, um, and I'm not actually picking up a lot of individual notes. Um, Again, not to lean on this too hard, but I am still learning how to do better tasting. Um, And I think with a rum that's well put together like this, where it's not one particular profile that's bowling you over, uh, sometimes it's hard to pick up on some of the subtleties, or at least it is in my case. Um, When I taste this rum, uh, I get a little bit of initial heat on the tongue. Now, I should note at this point that typically what I'll do when I get a new bottle of rum and I don't really know much about it or I haven't had a lot of experience with it is I'll actually do the tasting first before I go to the website and read about it because I'm trying not to give myself any preconceived notions when I do the tasting because oftentimes if you hear, oh, this this has um, a current flavor or this has a uh, sugariness or this has a straight vanilla, you know, then whether you intend it or not, that gets into your head. So anyways, I often will try to taste the rum before... I actually go and do the research, which is my way of saying, in this case, I didn't really look at the bottle too much. I certainly didn't do any reading and just tasted it. And then I noticed as I got that initial heat, oh, hey, this rum is actually 90 proof. Um, so that nose makes sense where I got a little bit of astringency. Um, and then the, in terms of the taste, that makes sense to get a little bit of heat as well. I found the rum to be crisp and you know, somewhere in between a heavy body um, and a light body. So... It's not light like a Spanish-style rum. It reminds me a little bit of a Barbados-style English rum where it's not super heavy like a Jamaican rum, um, and it's not particularly sweet either. So whatever little hint of sugar I got definitely doesn't pick up in the rum, which is great because uh, it gives it um, a real nice mouthfeel um, as, it, as it finishes. And then in terms of finish, I've found it to be a nice pleasant slow burn that fades really nicely and maybe leaves a little bit of pepper behind as I swallow it. So... Uh, To sum up this rum, this one surprised me a little bit as a sipping rum. Um, I couldn't wait when I got it to try it in a punch or a cocktail. But this strikes me as one of those rums that would, you know, this is a different, this isn't an official category except in my head. Um, But I have a category of rum that I equate to um, the same way that I equate a bourbon or a rye uh, that I really like to sip. Which is, this is one of those rums that would go well by the fire after a day of snowboarding. Or if you're just in some cold weather and you're sitting by a fire. This would be a good one to have and sip to keep you warm um, and drink throughout the evening. Uh, So maybe for the same reasons, be a a good one for you to have um, for your whiskey drinking friends to sample. Uh, If you're more of a whiskey drinker yourself, this might be one that you'll enjoy drinking neat. So it feels like a rum that could really play well with other ingredients in the right cocktail. and It won't get lost, Uh, but it's also a, a good rum, a good sipping rum neat as well. Now, since privateer rum is a proud product of New England, it seems reasonable to revisit rum in colonial America. Uh, Back in show 13, I mentioned a book by Wayne Curtis called And a Bottle of Rum. um, And chapters 3 and 4 and 5 and maybe a couple others, but those are the ones that stand out in particular. Those are about rum in colonial America. Now, according to uh, Wayne Curtis, strong spirits really began to take hold in the American colonies around 1700 replacing beer and hard cider as the favored spirit of the time. Uh, rum was the preeminent selection once they got into harder spirits. In contrast to the grog of the high seas, however, the application of choice was something called a flip. Uh, now bear in mind this description of a historical flip for later, and this is not the current description of a flip, but in, the, in colonial America, this is what a flip was. Um, or roughly mix one cup of beer, a stout beer, two tablespoons of molasses, And one ounce of Jamaican-style rum into a mug. Heat a loggerhead over a flame. A loggerhead is basically the uh, metal end of a long stick that you would heat and then then stick onto things like tar if you wanted to make them pliable. So anyways, heat a loggerhead over a flame slash a fireplace or any sort of open flame like that until it's red hot and then thrust that into the mug with your ingredients. Once the mixture stops foaming, remove the loggerhead and drink the mixture hot. So that was the colonial version of a flip. Now, beer had arrived in the 1600s with the Puritans when they landed in New England. Um, And the beer favorite at the time was that stout style that was uh, referenced in the flip recipe that came in around 6% alcohol by volume. Hard cider was also popular in apple growing regions. So most of uh, the northern colonies Uh, and because cider really required next to no effort to produce, uh, let apple juice ferment in the available uh, atmosphere and yeast. And voila, you have hard cider. And if left to freeze outside in the winter, Applejack could be produced. Again, Applejack's sort of like a, an apple brandy, but that can be produced simply by skimming off the frozen water from the cider as it started to freeze and slush up, take off the water, and then you're left with uh, basically apple brandy. However, as easy it was to, as it was to produce, apple cider can get vinegary over time. Um, And also one thing to recall that during this time, people were still pretty wary of the water supply, especially those that had just arrived from uh, Europe, from Europe. Uh, The water supply was highly suspect. um, And so drinking water and wine to replace using a municipal water supply was part of how society worked. Now, that's great. But remind yourself or or keep in mind that typically you're working at less than 10 percent alcohol by, by volume, even if you are using beer, wine and And hard cider is your primary source of water. Now, when sugar production exploded in the Caribbean, rum flooded the export market and colonial America, and it was cheap. So you could get rum for basically $4 for a fifth of rum, which is much cheaper than it sells for today. Now, you can get a sense of the danger if Americans started subbing strong rum in place of beer and cider, which itself was a substitution for water. Because remember, water comes in at a cool 0% alcohol by volume. And rum became you know, acceptable not just for drinking under normal circumstances, but now it became an acceptable remedy for illness as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to go back and read historical accounts, but it's hard to properly convey just how pervasive and in many cases destructive rum was in early America. Uh, taverns were also an important part of early American towns and settlements, and in many cases were fairly well regulated. So to stand out, taverns started experimenting and concocting unique drinks. Straight rum, grogs, slings, mumbo, and others uh, were all you know, ways of differentiating yourself from a neighboring tavern. So it's here that the flip starts to make an appearance. In Curtis's book, he notes that it first comes up in 1690, and it was hugely popular for a couple of decades. So as a documented example from Curtis's book, this would be a description of a flip from a, an early tavern keeper. Uh, Quote, to make the drink, a tavern keeper started with a large earthenware pitcher or an oversized pewter mug. This would be filled about two-thirds with strong beer, to which was added some sort of sweetener, molasses, loaf sugar, dried pumpkin, or whatever else was at hand. Then came five ounces of rum, neither stirred nor shaken, but mixed with a device called a loggerhead head, a narrow piece of iron about three feet long with a slightly bulbous head the size of a small onion. It was originally created for heating tar or pitch, with the bulb buried in the glowing coals until it blazed red hot and then quickly withdrawn and plunged into the pitch to make it pliable. The instrument served a similar heating function when plunged red hot into the beer, rum, and molasses concoction. The whole mess would foam and hiss and send up a mighty head. This alcoholic porridge was then decanted into smaller flip tumblers, which could hold as much as a gallon each, a measure that attested to the great thirst of early settlers. And end quote. Now, Any decent tavern had its own flip. The real competition was to create a unique variation. So you can draw your own modern-day parallel here between craft cocktail bars and what they're doing on different variations on a theme. Now, this historical flip is long past the modern flip is a totally different animal. So just bear that in mind if you go into a a current uh, Prohibition-style cocktail bar and order a flip. Rum wasn't just an import. Distilleries were also popping up around the northern colonies, dozens of them in fact half of the rum consumed by 1776 came from local u.s distillers distillation started uh, distillation in the colony started as early as 1640 on staten island but this wasn't rum this was uh, grain-based spirits But when molasses started to become plentiful and cheap rum distillation began near 1700 in new england primarily in places where molasses was unloaded from ships by 1750 Boston alone had 25 distilleries. Now, bear in mind that this rum was plentiful, but it wasn't necessarily best in class. Quote unquote, New England rum often meant cheaper, uh, often meant it was cheaper and worse than West Indies rum, rum. But out of this landscape rose the rum of Medford, Massachusetts. Medford rum became an early brand name rum because of its positive qualities. So it was able to stand out and build a brand solely by being better than the rest of the rum that was, you know, nearby. So I encourage you, this is is but a small bit of rum's role in colonial America. Um, And since this isn't really a history podcast, I'll go ahead and stop right there. But I definitely encourage you, get a copy of Wayne Curtis's book. The link is in the show notes. uh, And learn a lot more about rum's history. Uh, Rum production in colonial America began to fall after the failure of the Molasses Act of seven. Well, uh, the Molasses Act of 1733 was kind of a failure. But there was an early success with the Sugar Act of 1764, leading up to the, the events of the Revolutionary War. Ultimately, rum production in colonial America faded as molasses became more scarce, um, a result of the bitterness between European, co- European countries and their colonies. All right, now I'd like to reward those of you that sat through the history lesson with not one but two recipes in this episode. Uh, both punch recipes, one a variation on another. Um, and the first one is called Meeting House Punch. Meeting House Punch um, came, it comes from Beach Bum Berry's or Jeff Berry's book, Potions of the Caribbean. Um, And you'll note uh, in the ingredient list for Meeting House Punch, there's a similarity to the old colonial flip just in terms of the ingredients that are used because it features both rum and beer. Uh, It's not served hot, but it has many of the same notes. And then I created something called the Privateer Punch using the Meeting House Punch as the base inspiration. Uh, I wanted a punch for Thanksgiving and other seasonal get-togethers where the fall flavor of an apple and New England rum would both be at the forefront. So let's start with the meeting house punch, and this is a modified recipe. I'll get to that in a moment. The meeting house punch that I concocted is four ounces of lager beer. Uh, Per the recipe, Red Stripe uh, was recommended, so I used that. Two and one half ounces of Privateer Amber Rum, one and one half ounce of White Virgin Islands Rum, one half ounce of lemon juice, three teaspoons of white sugar, one teaspoon of Demerara sugar, and the peel of one half of a lemon. So to make the meeting house punch, Muddle the lemon peel from half the lemon and the sugar together in half of a Boston shaker. Once you've muddled that, let that sit for about 30 to 60 minutes, and then muddle it again. You're creating sort of an a easy version of an oleosaccharum, uh, which is a, a base for any good punch. After you've muddled that a second time, add the lemon juice and stir to partially dissolve the sugar. At that point, add the rums and stir again until the sugar is completely dissolved, and then remove the lemon peel, fill your shaker with ice, and then stir in the beer. Pour that unstrained into a barrel mug with two straws, or you can pour it unstrained into two old-fashioned glasses. Uh, That'll make ice distribution a little bit trickier, but you know, if you want to do two glasses, that's the way to go. Now, the original recipe in Potions of the Caribbean calls for six ounces of the beer, uh, but when I first made that version, I felt that the beer dominated the cock or it's not a cocktail dominated the punch a little bit too much uh, and so i want to dial that back so what i did was i took a couple ounces of the beer away shrunk that part and then i increased a little bit the privateer amber rum added an extra quarter ounce added an extra quarter ounce of lemon and tried to give it a little bit more of that balance so you still get the effervescence and the beer flavor but it doesn't dominate um because i think that you want to get a little bit more balance out of it um out of just having sort of the beer flavor now, Privateer Punch, like I mentioned, I used the Meeting House Punch sort of as an inspiration, but what I really wanted to do is I wanted to create a, a fall punch that I could use for fall get-togethers. And so this the flavor notes I was looking to hit were uh, rum, because that's where I think. Um, and then also I wanted to get an apple flavor and maybe a couple other fall-type flavors. So to make Privateer Punch, uh, you're going to need one and one-half ounce of Privateer Amber Rum one and one half ounce of Applejack or Apple Brandy. Um, I've made it with both Laird's Applejack and Laird's Seven Year Apple Brandy. Both of them were good. Two ounces of black tea, uh, cold black tea. That is one ounce of lemon juice, one quarter ounce of Demerara sugar syrup, one tablespoon of Demerara sugar, and the peel of one lemon. So to concoct this punch, uh, and this is a single serving, uh, muddle the lemon peel and the sugar in a, the, into a or in a pint glass. Let that sit again for 30 to 60 minutes and then muddle it again. Uh, what you'll notice when you're doing this is the oils, when you press those out of the peel into the sugar, the oils will start to get um, absorbed into the sugar and you end up getting a sort of uh, muddy, sticky uh, lemon sugar mixture that really works well as a, as a punch base. That's the oleosaccharum um, that's done in many other punch recipes. Um, at that point, after you've muddled it a second time, add the lemon juice and stir to dissolve the sugar. Then add the rum, the Applejack, the tea, and the demerara sugar syrup and stir again until the, the sugar that you originally muddled with is completely dissolved or close to completely resolved. At that point, remove the lemon peel or strain into a double old-fashioned glass filled with uh, ice. Uh, stir that again to chill it and then uh, raise your glass. Make a toast because this is a punch. And if you're going to serve this in larger quantities, simply multiply each ingredient based on the number of guests. So... Uh, what I do is I assume that if I'm going to have X number of guests, I want X times two number of servings just to make sure I have plenty on hand. So when I have four people, for instance, coming over, I will um, say I want to make eight servings. And so just multiply everything by eight. Um, so in tasting the private cheer punch, uh, I, I made it a couple times and I messed with the rum to brandy ratio. Eventually I settled on equal parts. I started out with two to one rum to brandy, but I still wanted to get more apples. So I, I settled on, on a 50-50 mix. Um, depending on what flavor you want to achieve, you can adjust that to taste. I also experimented with adding a small amount of cinnamon syrup as an obvious complement to fall flavors and to the apple flavor. Uh, but I already have a punch recipe called the Cup of Cheer that I covered, I believe, in episode 17 that hits that cinnamon note. And so I elected, in this case, to leave it out. Um, if you find the punch too sweet when you make it, just simply omit the one-quarter ounce of Demerara sugar in the last step and just use the sugar that you got for making the oleosaccharum. Uh, if I taste this here... Mm. Really good. It has some nice acidity from the lemon juice, but not too acid, and you can really pick up the apple and the rum flavors. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening all the way to the very end. Show links are up on the 5 Minutes of Rum website. That's number5minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as 5 Minutes of Rum. On iTunes, you can subscribe. You can rate the show, even leave a review. The show is also on Twitter as at... 5 Minutes of Rum, that's the at symbol, number 5 Minutes of Rum. Please send in your comments, corrections, feedback, or requests via the 5 Minutes of Rum website or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum.